text for the sermon this morning, congregation, is Luke 18, the verses 1 to 8. Luke 18, 1 to 8, and there we read God's word as follows. Then he, Jesus, spoke a parable to them that men always ought to pray and not lose heart, saying, there was, a, there was in a certain city a judge who did not fear God nor regard men. Now there was a widow in that city, and she came to him saying, get justice for me for my adversary. And he would not for a while. But afterward he said within himself, though I do not fear God nor regard men, yet because this widow troubles me, I will avenge her, lest by her continual coming she weary me. Then the Lord said, hear what the unjust judge said. And shall God not avenge his own elect who cry out day and night to him, though he bears long with them? I tell you that he will avenge them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he really find faith on the earth? So far the text Beloved congregation of the Lord Jesus Christ, do you remember that mining accident in Chile which took place almost three years ago? 33 miners became trapped 700 meters underground. The top part of the mine caved in. And then uh, a number of holes, exploratory holes, were drilled down into the mine to see if anyone had survived the cave-in. It was originally thought nobody could survive that uh, disaster. But 17 days after the accident, one of the drills was brought to the surface and a note was attached to it telling the people on the surface that 33 miners were still alive trapped in a shelter. There was great re rejoicing, of course, but still the problem remained. How do we get those men out of there? They were given food and water and encouragement through that one hole that was, had been bored down to them, but it still, it still took another 52 days before those miners were able to be rescued. So they were trapped underground in the dark for 69 days. And the first 17 days, as we mentioned, they had no contact with others on the surface. And it's hard to imagine how they must have felt at that time. Would anybody be looking for them? How long could they last without food and water? Would they ever see their loved ones again? One of the older men was a, a committed Christian who encouraged the others with Bible studies, wrote a book about it afterwards. In the meantime, though, millions of people followed that intense and complicated rescue effort. And when those men were finally brought to the surface, 
one of the rescued men said something like, I was with God and with the devil down there. And I grabbed God's hand, and it was the right thing. You can imagine it was a hard, hard struggle to keep up the hope of deliverance in that small, dark space over all of those days. Those men had to keep on hoping. That's what the sermon this morning is, is about, too, congregation. About keep on, keeping on, keeping on. Believing in our deliverance, hoping in our deliverance, our complete deliverance. Even if, humanly speaking, you'd want to give up. And I preach to you the gospel in the text with this theme, then the Lord Jesus calls us to keep praying for vindication. And we see first the parable and secondly the call. First of all, the parable about the widow. In the text congregation, the Lord Jesus speaks a parable, a parable about a widow seeking justice. She was in a tight spot. Maybe, maybe I'm just imagining here, maybe a, a, a widow with young children whose husband had been killed by a neighbor's loose bull or animal, and now she had requested compensation. But as, she, she, as was allowed in the law, but she had received no justice. Maybe her children were starving. She had even lost the family home, possibly, trying to stay alive. She had, she had even gone to court to the local judge seeking justice, but the judge had turned her away for unknown reasons. He said he couldn't do anything for her. But she kept trying to get justice from him. She did not give up. Maybe her family situation was becoming more desperate all the time. She brought her case to the judge time and again. Sir, have heart. See how my children are suffering. She kept going back. How could she keep that up? How could she keep coming? Well, don't forget, congregation, in those times, the widows didn't have much influence. She didn't have a man to stand up for her. This woman apparently didn't have sons or other family to help her with her case. She didn't have the money to hire a lawyer to take up her cause. And all of that made it easy for the judge to give her the brush off. He had to think of his position, didn't he? You can't just help everybody. And, and this woman's case was actually nothing compared to all the other stuff he had to deal with. He kept turning her down for a long time. The widow was completely alone, and yet she kept coming to that judge asking for justice. How could she keep this up? What gave her the strength and the motivation to keep on keeping on? Well, one thing, one thing, she knew that her cause was just. She knew her cause was just. She knew she had the right to have justice done for her. We often see the aid given to vulnerable people in society as charity, but don't forget that the widows and orphans and strangers in Old Testament Israel actually had a right to be helped. 
a God-given right to assistance. The Lord God had prescribed for them in the law of Moses that right. And if anyone was killed without intent, for instance, or by a neighbor's animal or so, then the next of kin had a right to compensation in the law of God. That's why that widow kept going to that judge asking for vindication. If you have a right to justice from adversaries, then you have to go to the judge, right? You might remember the case of Stephen Truscott here in Ontario. It was a big thing on the news when I was young. Stephen Truscott was convicted of murdering a classmate when he was 14 years old and sentenced to hang in 1959. After spending years in jail, finally released, and finally in 2007, his sentence was declared a miscarriage of justice. And he was given compensation in 2008. And throughout those years, throughout trials, investigations, inquiries, time in prison, Truscott had maintained that he was innocent, fought, fought for justice. How did he keep it up during those years in jail and afterwards? How did he keep maintaining his innocence without going crazy there? He had the support of family and friends, of course, but he also believed in his own innocence, and he kept trusting that in the end, the justice system would prove he was not the one who killed the girl and would overturn the sentence. Well, the widow in Jesus' parable kept up her battle for justice too and because she knew I have a right to this. And eventually the judge gave in and agreed to hear her case. He said to himself, even though I don't fear God or care about people, I'll give her justice because she's going to wear me out completely with her continual pleading to me. See, the persistent person wins. Finally, the widow got the justice she'd been seeking so long. And not because the judge realized he was wrong to refuse her and that he was answerable to God or somebody else. No, but because he was worried, worried that that widow would wear him out, maybe cause him to do something he would regret later on. He just wanted to be left alone. So even when he gave in, he was just thinking of himself yet. And there are more like that judge, right? Judges who make wrong judgments even though they should know better, maybe for money or because of personal connections, and, and the result is that the person who wants justice doesn't get it, doesn't receive it. The victim isn't helped. Think of the whistleblower who exposed fraud where he or she worked and who lost their job because of that. Think of the divorced fathers not given visitation rights to their children. They have organizations to push their case against so many judges who don't give them their right as fathers to see their kids. Think of the injustice done to Christians in Saudi Arabia where some Ethiopian Christian workers were arrested and imprisoned in February because they got together for worship. They had the right to do so even by law, but trumped-up charges were brought against them. A lot of people all over the world suffer injustice today, men and women, Christians, non-Christians, Jesus thinks specifically in the parable in our text, though, of believers. 
He speaks in verse 7 of God's elect who cry out day and night to him. Like the widow who kept pleading to the judge for justice to be done, for vindication, so believers plead with God for help, for God to execute justice and bring vindication, in other words, to, And they evidently have reason to do that. They know God. They're his elect. But as God's people, they don't have special privileges here so that they never have to deal with evil. No, God's elect in Christ also have to cope with injustice and suffering in this life. And they feel maybe even more than others how much is wrong with this world and how much isn't as God intended it here. And then they suffer also because of that. And they themselves can be victims of injustice. And not only out in the world, but sometimes even in the church among brothers and sisters. And they, they do what they can, can to get justice, but they also know then that they will ultimately only get justice from God. He will make things right in the end. Think of how David cries to God and asks him for vindication in Psalm 5, which we sang earlier on. There were people in Israel who were telling lies and deceit about David. He was suffering injustice, and it was impossible to have that set right. But he pled his case before God and trusted that God... The ultimate judge will deal with the injustice done to him, will vindicate him, will deal with the proud liars and deceivers. And that brings us to the second point of this sermon, the call to us. Brothers and sisters, do you see yourselves in the Lord's parable? in this woman who he set as an example in this story. Maybe you think, well, I don't have any problems here. I'm pretty satisfied with my life, of course. There are things you wished were different, but who doesn't wish that? You have your family, your parents, wife, husband, children, grandchildren. You have some good friends. What, what more could a person want? Well, what about an end to the killing of innocent civilians by terrorists? What about an end to the killing going on in Syria and Afghanistan? Or think about the persecution of Christians in countries like Saudi Arabia or North Korea. What about an end to the, to the terrible wrong of abortion in our own country? What about the, an end to the crimes in our, our nation which bring so much suffering to innocent people? The thing is, even if you personally haven't had to suffer a lot of evil and injustice, there's still a lot of it going on in the world and in our own nation. A lot of things that are crooked and should be set straight. It's frustrating if you see that. Children who die of neglect and abuse, handicapped people have no opportunity to receive help. If you don't only think about yourself but have empathy for the sad situation of so many others around you, it can squeeze your throat. You feel so helpless because the problems are so big and you can do so little to rectify things, to make things right again. You can pray, though. You can pray 
that God makes straight what's crooked, make right what's wrong, and put a final end to all injustice and bring the kingdom of his son to fullness when everything will be set right. But you wonder, when will that take place? The wrong just goes on. When will will everything be set right? How long yet? Why did the Lord Jesus give that widow as an example for us? Well, as he said in verse 1, this parable shows how we always ought to pray and never lose heart. Verse 1. Always pray and never lose heart. So don't give up. If you see the wrongs and injustices, if you experience that too, don't give up. Even if it takes a long time, keep on keeping on. Keep believing and, and hoping in that total deliverance promised by God in Christ. Take the widow of the parable as example. Oh, I'm sure she sometimes probably thought, might as well give up now. That's maybe what we think sometimes too. What difference does it make to pray? And the evil one whispers in our ears, don't bother, it doesn't help. And it can seem like he's right, right? You pray and pray and pray and nothing changes. And you're not asking for ridiculous things, but godly things that someone feels better or that someone comes to faith or that something is set right. But what you desire so much doesn't happen. At least not yet. And you can get frustrated down. And Jesus told this parable, congregation, because he knows and understands us. And he knows it's not easy to trust in him. He knows it's hard for us to keep praying when it looks as if nothing is changing anyway, nothing is happening, nothing is being set straight. He knows we like to see results and we like to see them now. He knows that our patience wears down easily and we can easily become hopeless. And then he doesn't condemn us. No, he gives us this parable in our text and with it he tells us two things. Two things. First of all, note that the judge who didn't care about God or people in the end listened to that widow's request. Well, he says, if that unrighteous judge ultimately listened to that widow's request for justice and fulfilled it, how much more then can we be sure that God will bring vindication for his elect? In the part of Luke 11, which we read together earlier, the Lord Jesus spoke a parable with a similar purpose. If this among people, how much more with God? If sinful fathers here on earth only want the best for their children when they ask, how much more will your Father in heaven not heed the prayers of his people, give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? The point is, God is good and cares about us. He loves us more than earthly parents can love, ever love their children. And so he gives us the best things, and so he also withholds from us what he knows is not good for us at this time. But the thing is, he loves us and has signified and sealed that to us at our baptism, and therefore we can trust that he only has our good at heart. 
Also, when we ask of him and don't right away receive what we ask for or nothing seems to change. And we see God's love for us, especially in how he sent his one and only son into this world for us sinners. In him, God truly showed his love. In him, God truly made straight what was crooked, namely the relationship between us and him. That relationship was good in the beginning, but we bent it out of shape, made it completely crooked. And Jesus Christ was willing to suffer in order to make straight what we made crooked. That was the first big step in the, to the ultimate restoration of all things. He'll straighten out everything that was made crooked by sin. He'll heal what was broken. Remember those Chilean miners I mentioned? First, the rescuers drilled this small shaft down to where they were trapped. Food and water was lowered down that first small shaft. And then when, when that was there, the hope in rescue grew. We have contact with, with the surface. And then it still took a long time to bore a bigger hole to finally deliver those 33 men and bring them to the surface. They started that rescue hole near the end of August and first they figured it was going to take till Christmas before they could get that, that hole deep enough and big enough to get those men out. Waiting is hard, especially if you're in a hurry. It seems to take a long time for that restoration of all things. We're like those men in that mine. We've, we see a bit of light. There's connection with the surface. But we still have to wait for the rescue, that, that final borehole. And it seems like a long time for that complete deliverance. The problems are huge. And the execution of God's plan for the deliverance of this world takes time. But what might seem a long time to us can be just a short time for God from His point of view. A thousand years is one day. And God doesn't let us wait unnecessarily. He's not that kind of a God. He's not trying to torture us. Think of what we read 2 Peter 3. He waits for good reason. He says he, he waits for our repentance. He waits till we and all his elect are ready before he will come to judge the world and vindicate his elect and make all things straight. So in the meantime, let's keep praying, keep hoping, keep working at our spiritual readiness and calling others, too, to be ready. Remember, I mentioned before that Jesus teaches two things with this parable. The first thing is referred to in the first verse of Luke 18. God will certainly make everything right, so don't give up hope, but keep praying and working, too. He will vindicate his own, his elect. Now, the second thing, Jesus mentions that at the very end, verse 8. He asks a question. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? Strange question if you think about it, because the Lord Jesus himself promised to send his Holy Spirit to work faith in his elect. So he knows there will be faithful people when he comes. 
Does he now doubt the effect of the sending of his spirit? Does he really wonder if there'll be any believers left when he comes again to make all things right? Of course not. Although if you look around in our own country, that might seem like a legitimate question, right? Fewer and fewer people seem to be attending church or be interested in faith in God, living out of faith. Growth in, in our own churches has slowed down too. If you check the statistics, what will it be like 25 or 30 years from now? But Jesus' question is not just a general one. Actually, this is a personal one. Will you continue to believe in me and hope in my return? Or will you give up? Will you keep believing also if things go differently than you wished and it takes such a long time? Or will you think it's no use keep, to keep praying for everything to be made right? This is going to go on the way it is forever. I know sometimes it's really hard to pray. Sometimes the words may be hard to find. Sometimes your throat is closed tight. But a couple of words is enough. Lord, help. God doesn't need much. He doesn't need detailed information. He knows what's going on. And he even knows what's in our hearts. He just wants us to lift up our hearts to him and to keep doing that. For ourselves, praying for ourselves, also for others. To keep expecting help and deliverance and vindication from him always to keep on keeping on. Prayer, and prayer in particular, he says, is the way to do that. Congregation, when the, when the Lord Jesus comes again, how will he find you if you're still walking around at that time? At the time? How will he find us? Unprepared or still waiting expectantly. In the previous chapter of Luke, Luke 17, the Lord Jesus described how it was in the days of Noah before the great flood. You can read that chapter on your own. Luke 17, the people, he said, ate and drank and married and were given in marriage and none of them counted on him coming with his judgment in the flood. They had been warned by Noah. They had been warned in his building of the ark. They could see it there. But nobody listened. And they made fun of that strange contraption Noah was building there. They didn't believe him. They didn't believe God. And the flood suddenly washed them all away. We have no idea when God will say, everything is finished now. And when he will send the Lord Jesus in glory to judge the earth, this time not with, fire, with water but fire, and to renew everything through that. Could be a long time yet. Could be a year. Could be today yet. But even if it takes a long, long time yet, brothers and sisters, boys and girls too, 
for us and for the church, young people too, and the next generations. The call is to keep on keeping on. Keep praying and believing and trusting that God hears our prayers. Not, not praying for everything to be made right, not praying for vindication and for justice to be done means to let go. If you stop praying for that, you're letting go of your hope and expectation. Keep praying because you have a right to God's promises. You have a right to what he promised you, to the fulfillment of all of that. You can hold God to account. Hold him to his word. Just tell him, Lord, you promised. You promised to make everything right. And don't give the devil any opportunity then. But keep grabbing God's hands like those men trapped in the darkness in that mine. And realize no matter how dark it gets here, keep believing in deliverance. Our rescuer is on the way. The deliverance is coming. And the night may seem long, but the new day is certainly coming. Amen.